Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Promotional support for this episode of the Hinkley Report podcast is provided by Trib Talk, an award-winning news podcast from the Salt Lake Tribune. Join host Benjamin Wood, Tribune reporters, and community guests as they dive into the latest topics affecting Utahns. Find Trib Talk at sltrib.com or by searching for Trib Talk on most major podcast platforms. Tonight on the Hinkley Report, Impeachment proceedings kick into high gear as witnesses provide insight into potential charges. Effects of the impeachment are felt at home as new attack ads target Utah's lone congressional Democrat. Meanwhile, Utah Republicans gather to show their support for the president's re-election. And new polling provides insights to what Utah's voters think about important issues. Good evening, and welcome to The Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Glenn Mills, anchor and senior political reporter for ABC4 News, Nicole Nixon, political reporter for KUER, and Bob Burnick, contributing editor for utahpolicy.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. So much happening in the political world. Oh, uh, is there something going on this week? Okay, <laughs> let's just jump into it, Glenn, because I know you're staying up nights replaying the impeachment proceedings. Right, right, So right. Uh, mm. a, a lot has happened, and a lot of it has uh, tentacles into the state of Utah. Yeah. So our representatives, uh, key takeaways from essentially day five of the impeachment hearings. Well, um, Key takeaway from the week, I think, was what we heard from Ambassador Sondland. He came out straightforward, said there was quid pro quo, and everybody knew about it. And then, of course, after that, we saw, you know, a recess, and, and Democrats went out and, and went their way on it, Republicans went their way on it. But that, to me, was really one of the key moments that we saw play out uh, this week, and many other key moments with our own congressional Representative and Chris Stewart, who's on the uh, committee. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicole, one of the things we talked about is how the, the Democrats needed to make this seem extremely legitimate, uh, that it's not being baked in some way and just like the process is being followed. Uh, I know you're interviewing lots of people in Utah. What is the sense of it? Is, uh, are people able to make up their minds right now or were they already made up? Before? I don't think that many people have changed their minds based on what we've seen the last few weeks. Um, there was a poll that came out this week that showed that two-thirds of Americans didn't think they would change their mind about impeachment based on these hearings. Um, and I also, frankly, don't think that most Utahns are glued to their TVs watching these. P people have lives. Mm -hmm. People are at work during the day when these are going on. Um, I think that people will, you know, I don't think people will change their mind. If, if they believe that this was a witch hunt, they probably still think that. If they think that Trump deserved to be impeached, they probably still think that, especially based on um, everything we've seen this mm -hmm. week with the witnesses. On Twitter, I follow a very uh, balanced base of, you know, people on the left and people on the right. And I sit and follow the Twitter feeds while we watch these proceedings play out. And it's like we're watching two completely different things. So to your point, a lot of people make up their mind and they're not being persuaded one way or the other. Yeah, people have, people have decided a lot. Trump, um, 
Trump has a, a, a very solid base, okay, uh, the base of his base, you can call it that, but then he also has a very low ceiling, and so there's only a little bit of movement in between the two, if you can know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, you, so Utahns have, uh, have, have basically made up their mind about Trump, uh, but, it, but there's other people, and I think maybe a number of Republican Mormons who have a problem with Trump because of his personal life and how he's conducted himself over the years. And so the question is, is how many of those Mormons will say, well, I, I'm, uh, I, I think he should be impeached because uh, of their previous attitudes toward him as that he's just not a very good man. Mm -hmm. well, let's talk about that space that you were describing because it, it, it's hard to understand exactly what the right course is for these candidates. And I'm gonna give you two examples from Utah. So let's talk about them, right? Let's first talk about Congressman Stewart. Been, been a champion of the president. He wasn't always that. Yeah, we'll right. talk about that for a moment. Mussolini, he, he was our Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, he did say yeah. that about President yeah. Trump, but now he's He's all in, and I, I want to do a, a graphic from him because he's being attacked from one side, which we'll talk about, and let's talk about the other side. Whether there's any, anyone can win in this, uh, Glenn. I, I want to read. I want to read this uh, this quote to you uh, from, uh, from 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 uh, Congressman Stewart. He says, "The American people aren't stupid." And the American people can hear that and they can say, I don't think Zelensky was under duress. I don't think he was being extorted. I don't think there was an exchange of a bribe. So this is very, this is all in on what these proceedings are. Mm -hmm. So how is this being perceived? What seems to be kind of defending the process and what the president did? Well, to the point that Bob just made where people in Utah aren't necessarily on Trump's side. There are Republicans here who struggle with him. I think a lot of people are wondering is he representing the mass in his district in being, you know, straightforward, there's no crime here, this is not impeachable, and defending President Trump in the way he is. And I think uh, even I've noticed a shift uh, in my work with Representative Stewart over the last couple of years. His team was always pitching ideas to me about things that were really important to his district that he was working on, like internet privacy, you know, uh, suicide prevention. Uh, he also talked uh, and came out against uh, President Trump with the border situation and, and children being put in, in cages. But this one, he, and I will say every single Republican that we're seeing in Washington, I don't see one crack no. there yeah. whatsoever, are all in on this. It's not impeachment. This is a witch hunt. You know, it's a, it's a show and it needs to be put an end. But I'm not necessarily certain that that's what his district wants him doing. Let's, let's talk about that, too, because, uh, Bob, you, you reported on this already at utahpolicy.com about uh, there may be a group of people out there that are even now trying to recruit a more moderate Republican yeah. for that. T tell us about that. Well, there is a group of people. I, I won't mention their names because they spoke to us and, and asked us not to mention their names. But they, but they are looking uh, to find, try and find a candidate to run against Stewart. Now, this would be a Republican to run against Stewart. Stewart's pretty far to the right, so this person would have to run from the middle or the m more mainstream Republicans, okay? And the person would probably have to have uh, some personal wealth, and the people that we're hearing about do have some personal wealth. So they'll be able to put money into the campaign, and they won't have to get money from some traditional Republican. 
Republican sources who would not like someone challenging uh, Chris Stewart. Um, and only Republicans, registered Republicans, can vote in the Republican primary, so the base is narrowed down. You're not going to have to worry about in the Republican primary the part of uh, his district, which is Salt Lake City, which really does not like Stewart because it's a Democratic and a progressive place. But there is a pathway there, and it'll be interesting to see. We were talking before as we were sitting in the room before we went on, and Glenn was saying he's heard from some people too. And there is a pathway there for some people to make a serious challenge. Now, you'd have to get, gather signatures under SB 54, mm -hmm. and I believe it's 8,000 signatures you have to gather in a congressional race. So you'd have to get 8,000 signatures from, from registered Republicans to make the primary ballot, But you, because Stewart would be very strong with the convention, but you can do that. And that, that's one thing I would point out real quick, is he is a very solid convention candidate, and yeah. he will come out of convention. But take a look at what we've seen since SB 54 was implemented as far as the way the convention candidate does at convention versus the way they do at yes. primary. Yeah. They're not performing well in the primary, so I think someone more moderate may take a look at that and say, maybe I do have a path here as well. Nicole, talk about it, because the reality is that Congressman Stewart's never had a primary. Right. He, he always gets out on, uh, up on top as much as over 60% in three of the times well, he's run. He's mm -hmm. never really needed to. He's a solid uh, Republican candidate. He does well in convention, and I think overall people have been pretty pleased with how he's done. Um, it's until Trump came into the picture that, that people are starting to question that and look at Representative Stewart and think, is this the kind of person I want representing me in Congress when I don't feel that same way about Trump? I think that a moderate candidate who does have money, who could pay for a good primary campaign, might give Representative Stewart a run for his money. I just have one more thing to add to that real quick. We talked a little bit about defining moments in the impeachment hearings this week. I believe it was Monday or maybe Tuesday when uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman was, mm -hmm. was testifying. And there was a moment where Representative Stewart got up and he said, do you always wear your uniform? Because he was there in his uniform. Do you always demand people refer to you by your, your title? And even people who support Representative Stewart had a problem with that and they saw it as disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And that was really a defining moment where Representative Stewart, a military man, yes, he is you know, very loyal to the military, had this moment in the, the testimony where people might have looked at that and said, he's so dedicated to this president that he's even overstepping his love for the military there. Some people saw that as a pretty disrespectful moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've hit one side, which is Congressman Stewart, who has been an advocate. You might say, I wonder how that plays in Utah. You just talked about it. But the other side's not faring as well either, right? Uh, so, so, Bob, uh, Congressman McAdams, who was essentially said, I'm okay with proceeding with the, the inquiry to see yeah. if we can find he articles. He voted in favor of the inquiry. He yes. did. So this yeah. is the other side of the equation for Congressman Stewart. But even he's getting trouble this week. Talk about oh, what's yes. happened there. Well, he's got uh, at least one large group has come in, and it was it's, it's not one of the far-right Republican group. It's more of a middle-of-the-road Republican group. And they're putting in $300,000 to pay for Glenn's salary. <laughs> they're, they're buying ads we're, on TV. We're getting a small portion of that. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're buying a big ad buy on TV, uh -huh. uh, which is unprecedented this early on. And we haven't even started the re-election campaign yet. It's still a year before. But they're putting all this money into to the ad, and they're criticizing him, saying, look, you're, you're not doing things like immigration. You're not doing any things like uh, 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 prescription uh, pricing. You're not doing other things, and you're and you're wasting your time and money on this impeachment. Now they're running it now, of course, because the impeachment hearings are going. But they're laying the groundwork for the for the attacks that are kind of going to come nationally against McAdams. 
Well, it's, it's interesting, Nicole. Is there any safe path for these candidates? Maybe just give the Utah lens on that. I think if there is a, a line to toe, uh, Congressman McAdams is doing probably the best job he can. He voted for the inquiry. He voted for, he said it, he wanted all the facts to come out. He wanted all the facts on the table and that he would um, not make up his mind. He would reserve judgment until then. And he's been pretty quiet on impeachment during these hearings. He's been doing work, um, pushing bills. He passed a, a bill out of the Finance Committee, I think, or out, out of the floor on um, consumer protections and yeah, white-collar right. crime. So he has been doing work. Um, he'll, he'll definitely have that to say, to point to. Um, but it will be interesting to see where he goes, um, whether or if articles of impeachment are, are pulled out. Um, I wouldn't expect him to, you know, I, I'd expect him to stay with Democrats on that. but. He's, he's in a tough position because he's in the swing district in the heart of Utah. To this point, though, I'm not aware of him saying at any point that he is for impeachment, mm -hmm. only moving forward with the investigation. In fact, I've interviewed him when, when we started hearing Democratic leaders call for impeachment, and he still said at that point, I don't see it at that high of a bar at this point. Okay, so uh, you talked about this before we get into the next phase, though. Maybe just a sense of the panels. Anyone think that the House will not vote to impeach? Oh, no, they'll vote to yeah. impeach. Oh, our, our panel yeah. says yes. I'm, yeah. Probably I'm so. Thinking they Probably will. so. Yeah. So let's take that hypothetical because then what happens when it gets to the Senate? So, Bob, so if articles are voted on, it goes to the Senate. We have some other interesting. Um, Political uh, positioning in the state of Utah with Mitt Romney. Yeah. So how does he play this one uh, it, when he has a chance to weigh in? I, I don't know. Uh, he's he's gone silent on this because he says I'm going to be a juror in the Senate, so I'm not going to talk anymore about it. But my and people have guessed. Well, he may be one of the few votes to impeach. Uh, in, in the Senate, and I have no idea what the man's going to do, and so uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and just see on that. But uh, he could bring along a couple of other more uh, more uh, moderate Republicans. There could be one, two, or three, but that doesn't really matter because they need something like nine, uh, uh, nineteen. Well, they would need they would need twenty if both independents go with Democrats. Yeah. Anyway, well. they got to get to sixty-seven votes, yeah, and they're right. not going to get to sixty-seven right. votes, and so it'll be just like it was with President Clinton. He was uh, he was impeached by the House and then he was acquitted at trial. And the real question is is how is the uh, uh, McConnell going to play this when it gets to the Senate? Yeah. Going to try to keep it very short and get through it quick. Try to extend it out because it may hurt some of the Democratic. There's six Democratic senators who are running for president, and if they want a campaign, they don't yes. want to be sitting in a trial all the time. And the thing is interesting is is I read this article the other day that says when you sit in a trial, the senators themselves just got to sit there and be quiet. They don't get to get up and give speeches like they're giving in the House, so you have to just sit there and be quiet for two weeks. That's yes. pretty tough to do for do any you, of those guys. Do you guys remember a year or two ago when, when Bernie Sanders was up? I don't remember what the the uh, stage was, but he was talking with some other, it was probably a forum with some of the other candidates, and he basically said the biggest mistake we can make right now is to make this all about Trump, Trump, Trump. If we talk about Trump, 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 we're going to lose in 2020. What's happening right now? Uh -huh. well, They're talking it? about Trump, Trump, Trump. And to Bob's point, um, yeah, Clinton was also impeached and not convicted. But I believe this could be the first time in American history where an impeached president would be seeking re-election. Re-election, yeah. yeah. It, it is true. Yeah. Well, uh, Nicole, it's not like the president has been working on our delegation. In fact, Mitt Romney just this week uh, lunch at the White House with uh, eight other, with seven other Republicans. Right. All right. He says he didn't talk about impeachment so much, but is this... Uh, President trying to 
convincing. I think, I mean, the president obviously wants to try to work on, on people like Mitt Romney where he can. Um, I think they, pro they talked about other issues, he said, also. Um, called it a delightful lunch. <laughs> um, I think that Mitt Romney will probably, like he's been saying, keep an open mind and reserve judgment as a juror in the Senate. Um, I believe him when he says that he's going to do that. But there are, again, Mitt Romney and only a few other Republicans that are probably have that feeling right now that feel like this, this isn't a witch hunt or should just mm -hmm. end now. And I will point out that just like we did with McAdams, Romney has uh, called what happened to Pauling, but he has not crossed the line and said, I believe it's impeachable mm -hmm. at this point either. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, we still have some elected officials, including the Trump campaign, uh, officially being launched here in the state of Utah just this last week. Bob, I know you, you followed this closely. We had Karen Pence here. Uh, what was her message to Utahns as she came and, and uh, registered? Well, it, it was full support of, of the president, of course, and you and you need to have somebody from your campaign and in, in come in and, and uh, authorized to uh, uh, sign you up so you can be on the ballot. We're going to be on Super Tuesday. That'll be interesting. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's what they did. Uh, it, that actually kind of flew under the weather, I mean, uh, flew under the radar a little bit, I think. And she was in, and then she left again rather quickly. So uh, uh, we're not used to getting uh, any kind of dignitaries here from the Trump administration. So it was nice that she came, but uh, it had to be done. And so I, I didn't see anything uh, that was outlandish about her coming. And it, it, oh, it was ahead. a pretty small group, but her message was that America is winning under Donald Trump. She touted these employment numbers, uh, job creation. Um, um, especially in Utah, things that are really popular here that Trump's been doing, like appointing conservative judges, fighting abortion access. Um, those lines got a lot of applause from that room of, you know, it was a small, pretty small crowd of Republicans, but people love to see her here. Um, we saw Mike, er, Mike Lee announce that he's co-chairing Trump's reelection campaign, which is uh, really interesting because he did not support the president at all, didn't even vote for him in 2016. Yeah. So that's a big win for Donald Trump. What about the people who were not on that honorary committee. I found that interesting. Of course, Romney's not on the honorary <laughs> right. committee in, in, uh, for Trump. And, and also John Curtis down in the uh, 3rd Congressional District. That one kind of surprised me. Well, it's, it's not random, though, that uh, Mrs. Pence comes to Utah and that the vice president comes to Utah. Mm -hmm. That's a smart strategic move by the sure, Trump administration. They like, they like, right. they like the Pence's like here. Pence here. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to point out is I had a sit-down interview with her lined up, and they backed out on that. I was kind of disappointed to, to see that because I wanted to really ask her. We've talked a little bit about how Trump can give Utahns heartburn. I really wanted to ask her if her and her husband ever get heartburn on anything they say him mm -hmm. do or say. But that opportunity. That's why they backed out of the interview. <laughs> didn't have that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. and. I was following a call on, on Twitter, and it just seemed more of a campaign rally yeah, than, than anything else. Yeah, she didn't even take questions from reporters oh, that were there. Uh, let's explore this a little bit, because those are such great insights about who is and who isn't. Because I think I should read, because it is interesting who else is on this honorary uh, committee of the chairs for the, the Trump victory campaign. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a couple, Mike Lee, Chris Stewart, Orrin Hatch, Rob Bishop, Sean Reyes, Stuart Adams, the president of the Senate, and of course, some longtime Trump uh, supporters mm -hmm. in Utah, Don Pay and Ron Fox. Yeah, the governor wasn't 
wasn't listed on there. And uh, there were some other, and there were some other leading members of the legislature that were not listed on there. I'm not saying that they're against the president because they're not against the president. But I'm just saying that they probably thought, you know, I don't know, this is all in flux, and maybe I shouldn't be putting my name out there right now because you don't know what else is going to going to come out of this, and you don't want to be in a position of saying I'm going to support the man, and then some other stuff comes out and it looks really bad, and then you have to say, uh, can I take my name off of there? Please? <laughs> it's much harder to get the name off, isn't yes, it? Yeah. Do you think that's why we're Probably. seeing Probably. Um, I, I, again, think it's just fascinating that Mike Lee has come out in full-throated support of Donald Trump. Um, a, a few of those other people, um, Stuart Adams supported Trump in 2016, mm -hmm. but again, there are some people that were a little shaky in 2016. Chris Stewart, I think Sean Reyes, that are now co-chairing his re-election campaign. That is really fascinating. I believe the words he used at that uh, press conference where I took the scenic route yeah. to get <laughs> to right. Trump. Because we all remember the the image of Senator Lee and Phil Wright at convention yeah, trying right. to do everything they can to derail mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Donald Trump at convention. They were and now he's cruise backers. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's fascinating. And, and that's another interesting point here. Trump didn't do as well in 2016 as you would expect a Republican candidate to do. But how many people that didn't vote for him now like Senator Lee, took the scenic route mm -hmm. and may vote for him now, but that could also go the other way as well. Maybe some that voted for him in 2016 will say, I'm not going to do that again. Mm -hmm. I think that'll be fascinating to see yeah, how that plays it out. It will be. We'll watch that closely. Uh, one of the names is not on that list, of course, we mentioned is Congressman Curtis, uh, and he's had an interesting week, too. He's weighing into the immigration issue uh, on behalf of the state, sort of representing the Utah way. Nicole, I know you're following this very closely. He, he's got a plan in place that really uh, to give some power to the states that has usually been reserved only for the federal government on immigration policy. Right, so he unveiled this bill that would let states create their own visa programs uh, to bring in uh, foreign workers for immigration visas. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what sort of support that gets in Congress. We know that Utah, and it, Utah Republicans especially are very welcoming to immigrants as opposed to other Republicans in other parts of the country. Um, so I'd be interested to see if other congressional Republicans bite onto that and if it's able to get support to get through. But it, this is a very Utah solution. I think you've got um, compassion to immigrants, you've got um, Job, creating jobs and keeping, you know, uh, this booming economy going. Mm -hmm. And you've also got states' rights and local control. Um, it's a very Utah solution, I think. Yeah. Bob, this is an issue you know very well and have followed for a very long time. Is this, uh, is this sort of a proposal that just has Utah at the heart of it? Or is this capturing a sentiment nationwide? Well, of this course, he, that's why he's doing it. He wants it to be nationwide. But a few, but a few years ago, Utah passed, uh, uh, the Utah legislature passed and the governor signed a series of bills that had to do with immigration, mm -hmm. and specifically one said that we want to have a worker program, and they even, I think, named a, a, a state or an area of Mexico in which they said we want to welcome these people in to do uh, to do uh, workers and then you can leave and all of that kind of stuff. But it required some federal waivers, and so it didn't really go anywhere because we didn't get any federal waivers. And, I, and it came around the same time as the Utah Compact, which was put together by leading Utahns, and while the LDS Church was not uh, uh, grouped in that group, uh, 
they did later on say we support the Utah Compact. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the LDS church leaders have been very welcoming to immigrants. Uh, half of the church membership now, I believe, is in South America or someplace like that. So uh, we've been very welcoming here. Governor Herbert just signed a letter, sent it back right. to Trump and said, you, you, you send us some more refugees. Now, these are legal refugees, of course, but send us some more refugees. So I think uh, to the benefit of Utah and to the goodness of Utah and its good people, I think that's an important thing, but we can't do much without the federal government. Yeah, that's what I was going to point out. What I'm watching for here is this conflict we're starting to see develop between state law versus federal yeah, law. Yeah. We see it with marijuana. Yeah. Uh, it's still against the law federally. Many states are moving forward to legalizing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's just this notion that I guess we'll turn the other way. I mean, is that how this is going to play out with the immigration thing as well? Because when you take a look at President Trump and his stance on, on immigration, you wouldn't think that that would be the case. Mm -hmm. But you even see the governor saying this is, you know, this is about a compassion issue, but this is about uh, a workforce. This is about our workforce too. Right. Does that resonate? I think it does. Uh, you know, we we have a strong economy here in the city of Utah, and people want to keep that going. And and right now, the fact is, we've heard the governor say it. There aren't enough people to fill the jobs that yeah. we have open right now, and that's one avenue of getting that done. There was a big, there was a lot of complaints here locally when they raided the meatpacking plant yeah. up in Logan, and they took away all those people, separated families, did all kinds of what I consider terrible things. And then you, who are you going to find to go into the, the meatpacking plant? That's a tough job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this all leads to just an interesting way to kind of close out the program because I want to talk about it's a poll that you did, uh, Bob, Utah Policy, uh, about whether Utah's trust our elected officials. I thought it was just so fascinating because you asked them national level, the state level, and at the local level. And I just want to throw it out and then maybe comment and see what you all think. So Utahns trust local government the most, 45%. Uh, state, 38%. Federal government, 16 percent. That's the trust level. Yeah, and you know this is this is kind of the independent uh, nature of uh, Utah, but also of the Midwest and the West. Uh, is you know we'll take care of ourselves. The state state rights kind of stuff. We're a big uh, a public land state. Well, uh, 60, 70 percent of the land is owned by the federal government. We don't like that. We want to get. There's a lot of work in the legislature trying to get some of that federal land back, and it's not working out very well. Uh -huh. But uh, but we want to take care of ourselves. And so uh, that I think that makes a, a lot of sense, and it was reflected there. And and we don't uh, trust the big, uh, big, uh, big federal government. And there's this perception that Washington is dysfunctional. Yeah. People look at Washington and say nothing is getting done there. Yeah. We're on the opposite. You know, they're mayors, they're city council members. I mean, some cities here you could argue are dysfunctional as well. <laughs> However. Um, the most part, you look at your local mayor and your city council and you see them, you can go to a meeting once a, a week to talk to them, and so there's a little more of a connection there uh -huh. as well. The number so. in that poll that sticks out to me is the 38% approval of state government. I wonder what that number would have looked like two years ago before the legislature came in and redid some of these oh, propositions that yeah, voters yeah. passed. That's, that's true. Point. Well, give me a comment on that too. It probably would have been higher. We yeah, probably. Been probably. Yeah. I mean, is this going to impact some of the major things they're working on this very week, like tax reform? We'll see. I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a split between the way that tax reform has been done. You have people on one hand saying, keep uh, hold this off until the legislative session, put this through a normal legislative process. And on the other hand, you have people saying, well, we've been working on this for yeah. the past year and it's gotten more public. It's been through a longer pro public process than the vast majority of bills that they normally put do. Yeah, that is absolutely true. We're gonna have to watch this closely, particularly as our legislators try to decide what to do kind of based on a little bit of the trust they're getting from the people that have to govern. Thank you so much for your great insights uh, tonight.
Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.